Hey, this is Chelsea Emery from Christ Walk Church, and this is our podcast. For more information about our church, visit thechristwalk.com. We hope this message encourages you to live for something more. Thanks for listening. So uh, if you've got your Bible or a smart device, uh, I want to invite you to turn with me or swipe with me. We're going to be in the Old Testament, um, the book of Isaiah, Uh, And we're going to land in chapter 6 here in just a minute. Um, Isaiah chapter 6. We're actually going to take a look at that whole chapter, all 13 verses. Um, You know, we like to send things. I don't, I I like to send things. Maybe maybe you don't. I I love to send things. Um, We send, uh, things that we send in our lives, we send letters. Um, maybe, Maybe we send like a love letter to that special someone, you know. Um, we send packages. Uh, often I send packages to myself from Amazon. Those are the kinds of packages that I like to send um, to me. Uh, we send, think about it, every day we send emails, we send text messages, sometimes we send flowers. Men, we're two weeks away from Valentine's Day. Send a little flowers, go ahead and I'm just, hey, you do, you do you. I'm just trying to help you out. Trying to help you out. Valentine's Day's coming up. We send somebody, particularly now, um, in, in the world in which we live and how everything has changed over the past year, we send someone to pick up and then deliver our food to us, you know? We send a lot of things every day. And whenever we send something, the reason we like to send things is because we are in control when we send. When we send, we choose the outcome of what's happening. We choose what we put in that email or that text message and we send. We choose what goes in that package or that letter that we get to send. We're in control and we love that. But what about when the tables are turned? What about when, instead of us sending, what about when we get sent? Yeah, we don't really love that quite as much. I was thinking about, um, you know, different things that, that we get sent. Sometimes, if, if we've misbehaved, we get sent to our room. Or sometimes I'll go to the mailbox and discover that I've been sent a bill that I have to pay. Or, or um, in school... One time, I got sent to the principal's office. It only took once. A couple of times, I got sent to detention. I was never sent home from school, but, but that could be a, maybe a progression uh, that, that, that happened there. Um, when, when something goes wrong with our health, we get sent to the hospital or sent to the doctor. And, and if our normal doctor can't handle the issue that is going on, we get sent to a specialist. And maybe in a worst case scenario, sometimes we're sent to jail. The only time I get sent to jail is when I'm playing Monopoly. But, you know, only 40, so there's still plenty of time. (laughs) See, when we are the sender, we dictate the outcome. But when we are the one that is being sent, that's where the tension arises, mostly from the unknown of where we might end up. 
and in our lives and, and, and in our relationship with God, a lot of us, if we were being honest, at least on paper, we have this idea that it would be great for God to send us, that we're open to him sending us to do something, that, that we're open to him having a calling. We like the idea that he has a calling on our lives. We like the idea that, that he has a purpose and a plan for us. And so we would say, yeah, we want God to send us. But what I've discovered is a lot of the time that even though we want God to send us, we want it to be on our terms instead of on his. And it just doesn't work that way. Today, we're closing out a series uh, with part five of what we've called Dangerous Prayers, and it's inspired by Craig Groeschel's book of the same name, and it's based on the premise that on the whole, you and I, we tend to pray some pretty safe prayers, things like bless me, protect me, be with me, now I lay me down to sleep. God is great, God is good, let us thank him for our food. Those are the kinds of prayers that we typically find ourselves praying every day. But what if, right here to start this new year, what if we chose to pray bigger, bolder, more faith-filled prayers? How might choosing to, to pray like that change our relationship with God over the coming days, weeks, and months? Is it possible that, that 2021 could be our best year ever if we stop praying just little flimsy, watered-down prayers that are full of, of safety and comfort, and instead we started to pray more dangerously? And while all of that sounds great to us, and yeah, let's pray that way, you need to be warned that these kinds of prayers are not for the faint of heart. All the way back in part one of this series, we took a look at a prayer that was prayed by David in uh, Psalm 139, where he prayed, search me, search me, O God. See, we ask God to search us, not so that he might know us, but so that we might know ourselves and in turn learn how to become more like his son, Jesus. In part two, we talked about a prayer that was prayed by Peter and John, where they prayed, make me bold. And they prayed this on the heels of being arrested and sent to, to jail uh, for preaching the gospel. And we learned that the call of God on our life is often outside of our comfort zone. And the witness of, of Peter and John is that they didn't pray to be protected from, uh, uh, from, from the government and, and to be kept out of jail and for their lives to be comfortable. No, they said, make us bold so that we can continue to proclaim the word of God no matter the cost. In part three, we looked at uh, a prayer that was prayed by a, a little teenage boy at the time whose name was Samuel, and he was being raised in, in the temple of the Lord. And, and God called out to him, and Samuel prayed. He said, speak to me, for your servant is listening. And we discovered that we can't allow the noise of the world to drown out the voice of the Lord in our lives. And then last, year, uh, last week, we, we prayed or we took a look at a prayer that, that if we pray it, I guarantee you it's going to happen 100% of the time that God is going to answer this prayer. And it's the prayer of break me. It's the prayer of break me. 
We looked at the stories in the scripture of the, the little boy's lunch of the five loaves and the two fish. And, and the woman who came and, and broke open uh, an alabaster jar of perfume to anoint Jesus. And then finally with Jesus and the disciples at the last supper as he broke the bread in teaching them what he was about to go and do on the cross. And we learned that the world says that you can't be used if you're broken, but that the kingdom says you can't be used unless you're broken. And all of those prayers point us to right here today, our prayer that we're looking at in part five as we close out this series. And it's Isaiah's prayer from Isaiah six, where he prayed, send me, send me. So we're gonna take a look at Isaiah six Right now, starting in verse 1, it says, It was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. This is Isaiah giving an account of what happened to him. It was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. And with two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And verse 3 says, they were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations, and the entire building was filled with smoke. And then I said, it's all over. I'm doomed, for I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips, and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the king, the Lord of heaven's armies. Verse 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. And he touched my lips with it and said, see, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. In verse 8, Then I heard the Lord asking, Whom should I send as a messenger to, his, to this people? Who will go for us? And I said, Here I am. Send me. That's the prayer. Verse 9, And he said, Yes, go and say to this people, Listen carefully, but do not understand. Watch closely, but learn nothing. Harden the hearts of these people, plug their ears and shut their eyes. That way they will not see with their eyes nor hear with their ears nor understand with their hearts and turn to me for healing. And then I said, Lord, how long will this go on? And he replied, until their towns are empty, their houses are deserted and the whole country is a wasteland until the Lord has sent everyone away and the entire land of Israel lies deserted. If even a tenth, a remnant survive, it will be invaded again and burned. But as a terebinth or oak tree leaves a stump when it is cut down, so Israel's stump will be a holy seed. Now this was actually a proclamation that Isaiah was sent to proclaim to the nation of Israel for how they had turned their back on the Lord and the destruction that would come as a result of it. But there at the very end, that, that the, the stump of Israel would be a holy seed. It was pointing them to the redemption that would come to all people through the person of Jesus Christ. 
But can I tell you that this would not have been a popular message for Isaiah to go and proclaim to the people. It wouldn't have been something that would have been uh, full of warm fuzzies and would have been easy to receive. But yet Isaiah positioned himself to say, here I am, send me. God, whatever you have for me, whatever you're calling me to do, whatever you're telling me to say, whoever you're telling me to go and say it to, here I am, send me. And so if you would be like Isaiah and you would say, yeah, Pastor Blake, that's what I want for my life. I want to be sent by the Lord. I want a special calling. I want to know what that calling is. And I want God to send me out to do his work, whatever it may be. I want him to give me the message to proclaim. If that's you and you would say, I want to be positioned in such a way that I can be sent by the Lord, then I think that there's three things that this passage reveals to us that that have to change in our lives before we can be sent. So for the next few minutes, we're gonna look at three changes that have to be made before you and I can be sent. So if you're taking notes, maybe you wanna write these down. Three changes that have to be made in our lives before we can be sent. The first change that has to take place is We have to change our perspective. We have to change our perspective. Starts out in this passage, it says, it was in the year that King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. Now think about this. This is, this is a man, he, he, he's a representative of the nation of Israel. His heart is for the people of Israel that God has called him to. And, and yet their, their leader has just passed away. And think about all of the turmoil and the chaos that they were likely, uh, likely experiencing at that time. And it's, it's easy for us to get caught up so deeply into the things that are taking place in this world that, that we, we, we get this tunnel vision for what's happening out here that we forget that God is still on his throne. And, and this passage starts out, it says, it was in the year King Uzziah died. It was in a terrible year. Bad things were happening. It was no fun, but it was in the middle of that year that I saw the Lord. I saw the Lord. And Isaiah begins to paint this picture of this beautiful vision of what he sees uh, in, that's, that's taking place in the throne room of heaven. And how the, the angels and the heavenly host, how, how they're circling around the Lord. And, and, and he's, he's mighty and, and, and his, the train of his robe fills the temple and, and smoke goes forward. And, and the cries of the seraphim shake the, 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 the foundations of that temple that they are in as they proclaim God's holiness. And Isaiah says, this is what I'm seeing in the midst of all the chaos, in the midst of all the disappointment, in the midst of all the hurt and the pain and the heartache, I saw the Lord in the fullness of his holiness. And so our perspective has to shift. If we want to, if we ever want to be able to be sent by the Lord, our perspective has to shift. It can't be downward anymore. It can't be on the things that are taking place around us in this world. Instead, we've got to shift our perspective upward so that we too can see the Lord, so that we can gaze upon his holiness, so that we can realize his his faithfulness and his goodness to us. Because that is the hope that we have to lean on. 
But often our concern is with the world and our place in it. Our concern, we get caught up in, do we have the right job? And are we going to get that promotion? And, and are we going to be able to close on that house? Are we going to be able to live in the neighborhood that we want to live in? Can we get our, our kids in the school that, that we want them in? Are they going to get the education that we want them to have? And am I going to finally be able to get that dream car? Are our finances going to be okay? Is, is, is everything going to be taken care of with our money? And am I finally going to find the one and get to fall in love and live happily ever after? Is the economy going to uphold? Is it, is it going to be stable? Or, or are we going to go into a recession? Is everything okay politically? And, and, and the people that are in office, do they align with the way that I vote and the way that I think and the way that I believe? And we get so caught up in that that sometimes we can lose sight of the fact that God is on his throne and still in charge. We get caught up in this pursuit of happiness that as long as everything will line up the way that we want it to, then we can be happy and then we'll applaud God for doing such a great job in our lives. But we need to understand something. Even more than God wants us to be happy, and don't get me wrong, I think he does, but even more than God wants us to be happy, he wants us to be holy. He wants us to be holy. And so that takes precedent over our happiness, is our, our holiness. In Leviticus 11.44, it says, For I am the Lord your God. You must consecrate yourselves and be holy. Why? Because I am holy. God has called us to Holiness. He has called us to living a life that is separate from the cares and the concerns of this world. That those are not the, the driving factor in our lives. Is all that stuff that I talked about, does that mean that it's not important? Does that mean that it doesn't matter? No, that's not what I'm saying. All of that stuff is good stuff, but when it becomes the main thing, then we're missing out and, and, and we're allowing that to drive us instead of allowing God and our pursuit of him to drive us. Paul writes in Philippians chapter four, verse eight, he says, and now dear brothers and sisters, one final thing, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable and think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. What Paul is saying is you need to shift your gaze. You need to shift your perspective. You need to shift your focus from all of the chaos and the destruction and the evil and the wickedness of this world and getting caught up in earthly pursuits and instead look to the one who is high and lofty and holy and seated on his throne that's the perspective that we need to have so if if we're going to pray this prayer god here i am send me then something has to change and it starts with our perspective it's no longer downward. It's no longer looking at the, the cares and concerns and getting caught up in the things of this world, but instead it's focusing on God Almighty, who is holy and on his throne. So first off, our perspective has to change. Secondly, if we're going to position ourselves to be sent, our preparation has to change. It's got to be a change in our preparation and Isaiah realized this. He sees the Lord. He has this incredible vision of everything that's taking place in the throne rooms of heaven. 
And then he comes to a realization. He says, then I said, it's all over. I am doomed for I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips. See, Isaiah in this moment, he was able to shift his preparation to where it was, it was no longer an outward preparation, but it was an inward preparation. He realized, I'm not who I need to be. I'm a man of sinful lips, and, and I need the Lord to touch me. I need, I need the Lord to, to uh, make a difference in my life. I need him to prepare me in only the way that he can. But a lot of times when it comes to preparation, we think, man, if we could just get that other degree, or if we could just uh, hone those skills, if, if we could just finally get our hands on those tools that we need, then we'll be set up for God to use us. But you need to understand something this morning. We, we all need to understand that, that God is far less concerned with the capability of our hands than he is with the condition of our heart. God is far less concerned with the capability of our hands than he is with the condition of our heart. We can have all of the skills, all of the gifts, all of the talents, all of the degrees on the wall, all of the tools, everything at our disposal. But if our hearts are not right before God, then we are unable to be sent. So God is not looking to call someone who is fully equipped what God is looking for someone is for someone that has, that has a humble and a contrite heart and that will allow him to, to, to work in and through them. That, that God, God's saying, I, I'm not just going to call people that have it all together. I'm not just going to call the, the equipped. I'm going to equip the called. And the person that I'm going to call is one who says that they realize that they are a person of unclean lips, that they don't have it all together. That, that they need the Lord, they need to depend on his strength. And so what Isaiah was ultimately saying, he was saying, Lord, come into my life and I want you to burn away. I want you to cleanse everything that doesn't belong here. Take away anything that separates me from you. And an angel came and took a coal off of the altar that was burning incense and, and, and sweet fragrance burning the, the sacrifice, going up to the Lord, took a hot coal off the altar and touched his lips and said, see, now you have been cleansed of your guilt and your sin. It was, it was the preparation through fire. Malachi continues this imagery where in chapter three, verses one and two, he writes, look, I'm sending my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. Then the Lord you are seeking will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant whom you look for so eagerly is surely coming, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But who will be able to endure it when he comes? Who will be able to stand and face him when he appears? For he will be like a blazing fire that refines metal or like a strong soap that bleaches clothes. This thought is continued in the New Testament in Hebrews 12, 29, where the author writes, for our God is a devouring, or maybe in some translations, a consuming fire. God's gonna put us through the fire when he's preparing to send us. Not, not because he, he wants to punish us, 
Not because we've, we've done anything wrong, but he, he's, he's purifying us. He's cleansing us. He's getting us ready. And when we walk through the fire, it, it separates the good from the bad. It's like the refiner's fire of metal. You heat the metal into liquid and you're able to separate the impurities off the top of it so that everything that remains is pure. We need to understand that there's pain in the preparation. Getting burned doesn't sound like much fun. Having God sear away at our lips or our hearts, our souls, the things that don't belong there, the things that are not pleasing to him, that sounds very painful, but, but there is pain in the preparation, but it's not from the standpoint of punish, punishment. The pain that we're going to experience, it's, it's purposeful. The pain is, is what prepares us for more of what God has in store for our lives. That pain that we endure through the preparation process is the very thing that is going to increase our capacity. It's a lot like lifting weights, which obviously you can tell I'm no stranger to. Okay, so I don't really know if it's like that or not, but I've read... It's like lifting weights and exercising. I've been told that's really difficult in the moment. I've been told that when you do that, that stuff and you, you exert your muscles, you know that they get tired and they get sore and they get broken down. But over time, exposing yourself to that kind of, 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 of tension and pressure and breaking down and tiredness and soreness, over time, those muscles, they get built back up and endurance gets built back up and, and you're stronger than you were before. That along with those processes comes growth and it comes strength that increases our capacity to be able to do more than what we previously could. That's part of the preparation process. And that's why when, when we ask God to send us, that he's going to put us through the fire so that we can be tested, so that we can be purified, that we're going to have to endure some pain so that we'll be prepared for what he is calling us to do. And we need to be sure that there is no wicked way within us. It, it points all the way back to what David prayed in Psalm 139. Search me, God. Remove any wicked way in me. Jesus continues this kind of thought in, in the New Testament in Matthew 7 as part of his Sermon on the Mount. First five verses there, he says, Do not judge others and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard that you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of the speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? You're a hypocrite. First, get rid of the log in your own eye, and then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. See, when we walk through the fire and we allow God to purify us through that, that preparation, then we're able to have greater clarity. Not only are we given a greater capacity, but we're given greater clarity so that we can go in and we can assess the situation. We can see the fullness of what God is calling us to, and, and we can address it the way that he's called us to address it. But if we try to, to step out and, and to move forward when, when we're not right, 
when our heart's not right, when we're not living a life that's pleasing unto God, when, when we've got the log in our own eye, then we're never going to be able to help other people who have their speck. So we've got to be sure that, that, that we have a change in our preparation and that we're willing to walk through the fire to allow God to cleanse us and purify us so that our hearts are in the right place because he has called us to be holy. So it starts off with a change in our perspective. The second thing is a change in our preparation. And then finally, there's got to be a change in our purpose. Number three, there's got to be a change in our purpose. This is the point that Isaiah came to. He said, Then I heard the Lord asking, Whom should I send as a messenger to his people? Who will go for us? And I said, Here I am. Send me. See, the change that takes place in our purpose is that it becomes outward instead of inward. That we cease to live for self and we start to live for others. <clears throat> We say this every single Sunday that we gather together, that, that we exist as a church. We exist to inspire people to follow Jesus every day. We exist. That's the reason that we're here. Each and every one of us, I believe that, that we exist to inspire people to follow Jesus every day. Talk about one of our values is, is that people are our mission. That reflects the, the heart of, of Jesus Christ, who, the good shepherd, that he left the 99 to go and find the one that was lost. That, that has nothing to do with us. Everything to do with the one that is lost, the one that's gone astray. We don't exist to inspire ourselves to follow Jesus every day. We exist to inspire people to follow Jesus every day. See, our, our, our purpose is, is a lot of times it's not so much about us, but rather it's about the one to whom we've been sent. That's the shift that has to take place because let's face it, from the time that we're born, we are self-centered people. We want it to be about us. We want it to be about our thing, about our desires, about our wants, about the things that please us, the things that, that make us feel good. And, and, and living a God-centered life is, is a constant pull to get out of selfishness and, and the things that, that we're living for self and, and to choose to surrender our heart and our life and everything that we have to God and, and for, for his plans for us. And, and it's so that we can make a difference in the lives of other people. Often, that's outside of our comfort zone. A lot of the times, it's, it's difficult. The purpose and the plan that God has for our life, it, it's not necessarily something that, that comes naturally. And, and usually, it takes us to some place that we never thought we'd be, and we end up doing something that we never thought we'd be doing. But it's in those moments that we have to trust that wherever God has us, because that's the place that it's best for our lives according to his plan and how he wants to use us. And we know this 
Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not to bring you harm, plans to give you a future and a hope. We know that God has good things in store for us. That doesn't mean that they're always going to be easy. That doesn't mean that it's going to be where we think they should be. But his plan is always what is best for our lives. Because he's a good, good father. And he has good things for us. So that we can have a future that's full of hope. When we talk about shifting our purpose and, and we talk about looking outward instead of inward. Jesus gave us the recipe for what that was supposed to be, what that was supposed to look like, that, that at the very core of wherever it is that God has us in whatever season of our life, one thing is constant. The purpose that you and I have been given, many of us know it as the Great Commission, it was one of the very last things that Jesus said to the disciples before he ascended into heaven after rising from the dead. Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20. He says, therefore, this is Jesus talking to his disciples and, and ultimately to us, those that would come along to follow him after the fact. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I've given you. Sometimes that's really hard. Sometimes that's, it's, it's difficult to do. Sometimes that means that we're going to have to go to some places and we're going to have to be around some people that we may not necessarily like. And that's what happens when we ask God to send us. He sends us to do things on his terms, not on ours. It's not always going to be comfortable. It's not always going to be easy. And, and that was Isaiah's, that was, that was his experience. That he said, here I am, God, you can send me. And it ended up being a really difficult task. A really, really hard message for him to proclaim. And this is what God has called us and, and, and at the core of his plan and his purpose for our life, what he expects of us is to make disciples of all nations. That means we've got to be around lost people. How can we reach the lost if we're never in the vicinity of any of them? Ooh, but I don't like lost people. I don't like some of the places that they go. I don't, I don't care for some of the things that they do the activities that they participate in. I don't want to be associated with that stuff. Here's the deal. We can't reach the lost without being around the lost. It's not going to happen. Right now, as I'm talking about this, you're thinking of there's someone that's coming to mind right now, of someone that, that you try to avoid at all costs. Like, I just don't want to be around them. That's, that's the Holy Spirit nudging you, saying, that's the person I'm sending you to. Maybe it's a neighbor you know, the one whose dog always poops in your yard? It's always that guy. Maybe it's a coworker who always throws you under the bus to the boss. Maybe it's that family member that gives terrible Christmas presents. You know, it's just that person. It's often the people that are overlooked. They're, they're ostracized. They're outcasts in society. They're really difficult to love. 
Those are the people that God will often send us to. And, and if, if you're here today and you'd say, Pastor Blake, I, you know, there, there's really no lost people in my circle of influence. So what do I do then? You increase your circle of influence. You make it bigger to include some people who don't know Jesus. Far from God, but close to you. Those are the kinds of people that we're looking for to minister to. They're far from God, but they're close to us. So we need to make our circle bigger, not so that we can be influenced by them, but so that they can be influenced by us. Remember, we've been called to be in the world, not of the world. We talk about all the time, widening the door and lengthening the table. So when I talk about that stuff, when I talk about that coworker, that neighbor, that family member, that person, the overlook, the ostracized, the outcast, the Holy Spirit's putting someone on your heart, in your mind right now. Who's God calling you to? What's he calling you to do with them, for them? See, a lot of time when, when we hear you know, people say, like, God sent me somewhere. We, we think about, like, missionary. We think about, like, selling everything we own and, and uprooting our lives and, and moving to, you know, some foreign country. Sure, that happens sometimes. But what I've discovered is most often when we ask the Lord to send us, he sends us to our backyard and says, hey, start right there. There's somebody right within your circle who needs to experience the love of Jesus Christ. And you are the perfect person to show them that. So we talk about widening the door and lengthening the table. What does that look like? Making room for more people. What does that look like? It it looks like providing a, a care or a service to someone in the community. It can look like maybe sharing a meal with or baking some cookies for a neighbor. For some people, it might look like sharing a social media post and putting it out there on your online network just to encourage and inspire them with truth from God's word. Maybe it's a personal invitation to come to church or to join your life group that you would extend to a coworker. Here's what I know. Whatever that looks like for you, and everybody is going to be different. Whatever that looks like for you, here's the thing that I know to be true for every single one of us. And what I believe that, that this passage from Isaiah conveys so clearly is that before you and I pray the dangerous prayer to, to be sent, before you and I pray for God to send us, we need to be sure that we're prepared to go. Before we pray for God to send us, we need to be sure that we are prepared to go. Because if we're not prepared to go, then that prayer is pointless. It is futile. It is a waste of our time and God's. So before we pray that prayer, we need to be sure that we're ready to go. That's what it means to live for something more. To live for something more is to ask God to send us and then faithfully obeying wherever he tells us to go and doing whatever he tells us to do. 
That's what living for something more is. And the hope that you and I have today is that God's not going to send us to somewhere or to someone where we're going to be all alone, all by ourselves, left to our own devices. Wherever God is sending us, he's gone there before us. He's already prepared the way. And if we would simply trust in him and we would walk in faithful obedience to his call, he's gonna make those paths straight. And he is going to use us in ways that we never thought possible. So how about you? When it comes to being sent, when it comes to being positioned for the Lord to send you, which one of those areas needs to change for you today? Is it your perspective? You'd say, Lord, I, I need you to change my perspective. I'm, I, I, I need to begin to choose to focus on the things of God rather than focusing on the things of this world. I need to pursue him more than I'm pursuing all of this that is temporary and fleeting. Is it your perspective? Maybe it's your preparation. Maybe you want the Lord to send you, but up to this point, you've been unwilling to experience and endure the pain that it's gonna take. You just haven't been willing to step out and face the fire so that you could be purified, so that you could be prepared to accomplish the task ahead. It starts today by just saying, God, I... Once and for all, I want to allow you to come in and remove anything in me that doesn't belong, anything in me that, that separates me from you. Maybe it's in your purpose. Maybe for so long you've lived your life for self. Instead, today you need to surrender your desires to God and exchange them for his desires for you. man, I just look all over this room and I see so much potential of what could happen if we chose to live our lives this way. Just in this city alone, the impact that could be made, the, the difference that could be made with people choosing to pursue holiness, righteous living, surrender themselves to God's desires and plans for their lives. Man, what could happen for the church? What could happen for the kingdom if we would all choose to live that way? That all starts by simply surrendering our lives to Jesus, stepping into a relationship with him, asking him to forgive us of our sins, if you're here today, maybe you're watching with us online, maybe you've never done that before. You say, Pastor Blake, this is the kind of life that I wanna live. I'm ready to stop living for me and I'm ready to live for something more. If that's you and you're ready to enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ today and have your sins forgiven and have your eternity in heaven secured, I invite you to pray this prayer with me. All over this house, can we just pray together? Heavenly Father, I admit that I'm a sinner and that I'm lost without you. I believe that Jesus died in my place 
making a way for us to have a relationship. And today I choose to follow Jesus and his way for the rest of my life. God, today I just pray for each and every person that is within the sound of my voice, be it in person, online, through some other means. Lord, I just pray that you would come and meet with us. Lord, as we have the boldness to begin to pray these dangerous prayers in our lives, Lord, that, 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 you, would, that you would meet with us and that you would lead and guide and direct and orchestrate. And God, for anyone who dares to pray this prayer, send me. Lord, I pray that you would, in that moment, Lord, that you would shift their perspective. Lord, that they would be able to see you in all of the fullness of your glory and your holiness. That they would come to the realization that you are alive and well and on your throne, holy and in charge. God, that that through that prayer, Lord, that that you would change our preparation, Lord, that that you would come in as the consuming fire that you are and that, that you would burn away any of the wickedness, any of the impurity, anything in our lives that does not belong. Lord, that you would change our purpose. We would stop living for self. Instead, we would live for something more, something to make an eternal difference. And God, that we would step out in faithful obedience to the things that you have called us to do, the message you have called us to proclaim, and the people that you have called us to minister to, and that we would never look back. Lord, our hope and our trust is in you. God, I pray that you would send us. Send us to that person. Send us to that place. Give us the message to proclaim, the words to say. And God, prepare that way before us so that when we go, Lord, that we would be effective, that we would be successful, and that the plan and purpose that you have for our lives would be fulfilled. God, we give you all the glory, the thanks, and the honor, and the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.